Hello, hello, everyone. I am back this week. I took a much needed break last week and didn't release anything new, but boy, do I have a good lineup coming for you throughout the month of March. If you didn't know, I'm your host, Catherine, psychic medium and self-worth coach, and this is Murder and Mediumship. I am flying solo tonight or this morning, or this afternoon, or whenever it is that you are hearing this episode, but it is just me. And if this is your first time listening, I'm so glad you found the show. And if it isn't, and you haven't left some stars and a shout out, then head to Spotify and iTunes and spread some love so the show can reach the ears of This was actually a listener request. It is fairly easy to get your request on the show. You just have to hit me at the right time. And if you are making show requests, I do encourage you to send them straight to Murder and Mediumship's Instagram as my assistant, my beautiful, lovely, most perfect assistant in the entire world will be sure to add it straight to the list and she can arrange it in whatever order she wants because she's my boss now. I feel like sometimes she's got it going and oh my God, is she so perfect. So if you have a request, send it to Murder and Mediumship Instagram, and she will grab right onto that and add it to the list for us, okay? All right. This story starts kind of in the middle, but I feel like it was really important to start it there. So we're going to start where nine days had gone by, and no one could find four-year-old Paulette Gabara Farah in her high-rise apartment owned by her parents, Lizette Farah, a well-to-do attorney from an affluent background and self-made man, real estate professional, Mauricio Gabara, Paulette's nannies, Erica and Marta, I believe their last name was Casimiro, had come to Lizette and Mauricio on Monday, March 22nd, 2010, saying that Paulette was not in her bed. The sisters had worked for the Gabara-Farah family for nearly seven years, and I feel like this is, I know Paulette's older sister was about seven, also named Lizette, but they've been working for the Farah, the Gabara Farah family for, it sounds like the duration of little Lizette's life. So when the two came to Lizette and Mauricio, they told them that they had got little Lizette off to school. And when they returned to get Paulette up and ready to go for school that day, she wasn't in her bed. Oddly, According to them, Paulette's parents didn't seem too concerned about the missing little girl and continued about their morning routines without missing a beat or showing any concern about their missing daughter. There is a report even of, I believe it was Erica, talking about how she came back inside after scouring the area, the pool, the interior of the high-rise building, outside in the parking lot, all of these places, and when she returned... Lizette was having her coffee and smoking a cigarette as if nothing unusual were happening. So I'd really like to kind of offer as well that, I mean, I have three children and if my four-year-old were not in his bed in the morning, he'd likely have already found me. And if he had not, if it was one of those weird things where my children were like really quiet and just got up and functioned on their own, which they're not, nor do I expect them to at their age, but I would likely find him playing with something nearby. And if he couldn't be found within the home, I would lose my ever-loving mind fairly quickly. Paulette wasn't even a normally functioning child, though. She was born extremely prematurely at only 25 weeks. And this is 2010. So 
I actually have a friend who had a micro preemie who was born right around this same age. And it was really touch and go for a little while. And that's kind of how it was with Paulette. She weighed less than two pounds and was just over one foot long. She had trouble walking by herself and could barely speak. From what I understand, she was pretty non-communicative for the most part, but could say certain words like food, water, mom, dad, that sort of thing. So the idea of her effectively running off on her own or even hiding on her nannies was simply unrealistic to even consider happening. That being said, her parents not going into an immediate panic was alarming to the nannies. In fact, they didn't even help them search the building or call the authorities. And there are so many conflicting reports. And I'm going to be honest to you, a lot of this research that I tried to do was uh, most of what I could find was in Spanish. So this happened in Mexico. It happened in Mexico City. And most of the First-hand accounts of the entire case are in Spanish, which makes sense. I do understand Spanish, but not shockingly well by any means. So just a little bit, like I can get the gist of a conversation, not necessarily the intricacies and the details of it. So from what I understand, Mauricio called his sister, who in turn called the authorities. Arlette called the authorities, not her brother, not her sister-in-law. And when Mauricio's sister reported the disappearance of Paulette to the authorities, the mayor contacted the state of Mexico's attorney general's office. Now, plenty of girls go missing in Mexico, and these are not the steps that are taken. In fact, this is a huge problem in that country. Human trafficking is a huge, huge, huge problem. But because Paulette was a girl from a wealthy family and in one of the safest and wealthiest communities in Mexico City, this case got immediate media attention. And I do want to warn you, there's also a show on Netflix right now called La Buscada, which is the search. It's about this exact case. Be careful when watching that because if you pay attention to the fine print on the show, there are there were embellishments made to the story. Yes, names were changed. I believe some of the names were left the same, but a lot of it, it's a dramatization and it wasn't done in the way that you see like 48 Hours or any of these other true crime shows that have interviews of each person who was involved in that sort of thing. It's largely like a reenactment of what had happened and, and the details are kind of skewed and they flat out say that it has been embellished kind of to fill in details and make the story what it needed to be for ratings. However, this case was also kind of viewed as like a telenovela kind of soap opera from the very beginning, and, and you'll see why soon. So because of the status of Paulette's family, attention on this case was immediate and it was huge. Think like um, JonBenet Ramsey in the States. So this wasn't something that was underreported by any means. By March 23rd, this is the, a day later, Paulette still hadn't been found. In the Interlomas community where she was supposedly or expected to have been, suspected to have been taken from, this was a gated community with security guards. So truly the idea of her getting anywhere with anyone or even on her own despite her disability, her, her difficulty even walking and being unable to communicate with anyone really, Three days later, social media was made aware of her disappearance when Mauricio's sister, Arlette, began putting Paulette's image all over social media. The case gained a lot of traction and quickly became the most televised and controversial case in Mexico. 
it was controversial if you're wondering why this disappearance would be controversial. Think like Gabby Petito and how much people in the U.S. started looking for her and how much of of a fuss they put up over the pretty white girl who is missing. And this is kind of the same idea. Someone from an affluent community was was given the media attention and the time and the resources that other people who had lost their children were not given. It was just another girl who had disappeared and it wasn't the case here. So a lot of people from less wealthy areas who have been through similar things, they were pissed and they had every right to be. So on the 21st of March, if we're rewinding a little bit, the day before it was discovered that Paulette was missing, the girls had just returned from a trip with their father to uh, Valle de Bravo. And please forgive my heinous Spanish. I am definitely doing my best. Eight years of Spanish, but like 15 years ago with little practice in the middle has not been kind. Lizette had not attended this family trip, though, as she had supposedly gone to Los Cabos with a friend of hers. And it soon would come out that she had not been in Los Cabos with a girlfriend, but was actually having an extramarital affair, right? Cue the telenovela, um, all of the soap opera stuff. According to Lizette, she had waited for the kids to get home with Mauricio to put them to bed. By her own admission, she was the last person known to be with Paulette before her disappearance. However, according to the nanny, Erica, she, Erica, herself had put Paulette to bed. So there's already discrepancies here. And as the media circus begins, much of which is in Spanish, like I said, Lizette and Mauricio begin to point fingers at one another, even sitting for separate interviews. Nothing made any sense. The family even had two dogs that were not disturbed by any intruders, and there were no signs of forced entry and no ransom note or anything like that. On March 27th, Lizette actually did an interview with multiple news stations present from Paulette's bed. Roughly 48 hours later, the nannies and the parents were taken into police custody and kept in separate hotel rooms to go over their stories with the authorities. And you heard that right. They were kept in separate hotel rooms to go over their stories with the authorities. They weren't taken to prison, and I'm not sure how the law works in Mexico. What I do feel like, though, is their their privilege definitely helped them receive better treatment throughout this whole ordeal. So four days after countless police searches, after a friend slept in Paulette's bed, after the nannies ravaged Paulette's room, even changed the sheets, they did reconstructions or reenactments for the police of how they changed the sheets. And in everything, at 2 a.m. on the 31st, Paulette's body was discovered, wedged between the edge of the mattress and the bed frame itself. She was found wearing her pajamas and wrapped in her sheets at the foot of her bed. And she was only found because one of the detectives noticed a faint, foul odor. The dogs didn't detect her. The nannies didn't find her while they changed the sheets. The police didn't find her in the nine days. And yet there she was, wrapped in sheets. Nine whole days later, police told the public immediately that this was being treated as a homicide investigation. But the coroner ruled the death an accidental death due to mechanical asphyxiation due to the position of her body cutting off her air supply. The police, however, publicized that Lizette, Paulette's mother, was their only suspect. We're going to pause here for a word from our sponsors. 
me. I'm the sponsor. If you follow Catherine and Intuitive on social media, please know that I will never, ever, ever DM you for a reading. The only way to receive one or to pay for one is through my website, CatherineAnnIntuitive.com. If you are a fellow business owner or intuitive and you're struggling to get started or to expand your own business, maybe you're feeling like it's hard to ask for help or you can't get started because you're not a subject matter expert yet, or if you can't do it perfectly, then why bother at all? If this sounds like you, either professionally or even personally, then join me for a free three-day webinar about overcoming imposter syndrome, a syndrome that is kind of BS to begin with. You don't have to be there live, but to catch the replay, you do have to be on the email list. So sign up in the show notes whenever you're listening, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And again, back to the DMs, there are a lot of fakes on Instagram and TikTok. So please, please, please be vigilant. I'm I'm never the one messaging you. It will it will never be me. I don't care what they say or where they send you. You are only going to be able to pay for a reading with me through PayPal or um or square card reading which is done through my site so it is it is never ever ever me okay when interviewed about the death of his daughter Mauricio flat out refused to defend his wife's innocence going so far as to say that it wasn't an accident but he could only speak for himself He wasn't even the only one to believe that his wife had something to do with it. The police and the media also believed that Lizette was responsible for her daughter's death, but the official ruling was an accidental death. It was surmised that Paulette had rolled over while sleeping to the place between the footboard and the mattress and had suffocated, unable to call for help or to move herself. And again, If you look in the show notes, there are a couple links to YouTube videos, and one of the videos shows what is supposedly the actual discovery of her body. And I will say it would be more gruesome if the quality of the video was good enough that you could really see exactly what was going on. Also, if you don't speak Spanish, it might be a little less earth shattering for you because you can't hear what's being said. But if you go look at that video, you'll see them actually finding her tucked into the end of the bed. And what doesn't make any sense is if you're tucked into your bed and you have little mobility, how you're going to kind of twist your body all the way around until you're able to roll into that spot in between the mattress and the footboard. It doesn't make any sense. You'd have to be twisting all around. And I've seen my kids land in some pretty crazy positions, but they're fully mobile. So I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. It was also determined though, that there was an orthopedic cloth that she slept with over her mouth, likely that likely contributed to her suffocation. And I guess she slept with this over her mouth because she was an open mouth sleeper. And this is to help keep her mouth from drying out. I don't, I don't know. I've never heard of anything like this. Maybe this isn't something that is foreign to someone else listening, but if anyone understands what this is all about, please shoot me a DM and let me know why, because all I'm picturing is like a cheesecloth over her mouth and I don't understand why this would be safe for a child, but I digress. I really haven't shared one tidbit of what I think may have happened throughout this episode, and I know that she was found in a rolled up flat position, but truly I don't believe that she wasn't moved post-mortem as police would have you think. And we're going to get to more of how they handled this investigation, I promise you. 
I believe she was suffocated while asleep by the hands of someone who was supposed to be protecting her and loving her. I believe that she was transported into that room, not necessarily that she died there, but that she had fallen asleep and would have been easily moved to that spot after the investigation had begun. She fell asleep and then she was suffocated. That's the way that I see it. And frankly, I don't believe that she suffered. I think that this was done in a way that it was the easiest way to do it. But I also don't believe that she was deceased as soon as people were looking for her. I think that she was still alive for a few days and wasn't really afraid because I don't think that she knew that she was supposed to be afraid about what was going on. But anyway, initially forensics said it wouldn't be possible for her body to have been there for more than three days. But suddenly, she's there the whole time? Six days is a huge discrepancy in time. I can see a day or two of being off and and maybe body decomp taking a little longer or going a little faster or whatever, but a whole week? This just doesn't add up. And I know there's always room for error, but that's too much error. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot for people to digest as the truth, that's for sure, because it just seems so unrealistic and so fabricated. Paulette's room was never secured by the police. And I mean, obviously, as they had someone sleeping in it and the sheets being changed, people in and out of the room to search for her, dogs in there. The crime scene was completely tainted and contaminated and no credible evidence could have been collected as too many people had been in and out of there. How did they allow someone to stay in there if they were looking for kidnappers? Did they think that they had collected everything they needed? Could it have been even like even that thorough of a search of her body was actually found in the room nine days after her disappearance? This doesn't even make sense. You can even see in that video that I was talking about of her actual body being discovered, bloodstains, and a police officer saying that it appeared as if she had been beaten to death. Now, there's speculation that this video is a reenactment or a cover-up of sorts. I do want to say that some people are saying that it was likely bodily fluids, and I I do actually think that that's what it was because I'm going to stick to my, um, my idea, my vision, my understanding is that she was suffocated. And and I'll explain kind of how that communication went with her as well. I, I mean, I can't verify whether or not this video is a reenactment or not. As I, I did also read in a blog and again, a blog. So I'm, I'm saying right now that question its credibility and I will post it in the show notes as well. But I found it very interesting that it was said that the original autopsy concluded that her date of death was likely March 28th, which actually validates what I felt that she was kept away from her family before being killed and then was placed in her bed. However, rumor has it that the forensic expert in charge of the investigation confirmed that a, quote, unidentified high command of the state asked him to correct the date of death to a nonspecific time between March 21st and March 26th. So even more interestingly, Authorities claimed that they were only allowed to look for signs of force entry upon arriving at the apartment. Alfredo Castillo, the deputy attorney for the state of Mexico at the time, had ordered authorities to stop searching almost as soon as they had arrived on the scene. Attorney General Alberto Bazbaz, also assigned to the case, told the public that he was certain that the little girl had wedged herself into that space between her mattress and her bed. While police were saying it had to be a homicide, and then the coroner says accidental death. 
According to multiple sources, Mauricio and Bezbez were actually quite friendly with each other, uncomfortably so for someone in charge of the investigation of a missing child in which the parents are the only suspects. Lizette would be described by psychiatrists as having a personality disorder and being very detached and cold about the whole thing. She was quoted talking about Paulette being a little angel and and seeing how she was such an easy child and she wasn't a burden to care for in her state. Also, I don't really believe that she cared for her too often. I think that that was mostly the nannies, but again, I digress. She was then also quoted saying, even if I lose Paulette, I still have another daughter. I understand that having a personality disorder or some sort of mental illness does not automatically make you a murderer. I mean, I get it. I'm severely ADHD. I have pretty intense anxiety. I know plenty of people with diagnoses that would, I don't know, be considered more of like a, quote, personality disorder, but they're not murderers. So I understand that this does not make her a murderer just because she was cold. But the fact that she's saying even if she loses Paulette, she still has another daughter. This is just, it's sick. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. So what do I think? I don't think you need to be psychic to believe that Lizette had something to do with her daughter's disappearance. And when I look at her eyes, her energy just doesn't sit well with me. Did her father have anything to do with it? I can't definitively say yes or no on this one. I think I want to believe that she had someone on her side, but I feel like the entire case was botched from the get-go. I don't understand how he couldn't have been more energized in his search for her, that he wasn't more concerned. But regardless, that's where I stand. I believe that at least mom killed her and that authorities were able to buy them enough time to completely contaminate the crime scene. And I don't believe that this was a tragic accident. I believe that anything coming from the authorities is not information to be trusted. I don't care if they said she had food in her stomach that was five hours old. They also changed the time of death from in, in a six-day window. They, they changed so much information as more authorities came down to talk to them about one thing or the other. So I believe that they have discredited, discredited themselves from the very beginning of this. As soon as they start tweaking information, how can we trust them anymore? I mean, let me know what you guys think, tragic accident or homicide, but truly, truly, this makes no sense to me. And I also, I didn't finish watching the search because I felt like it was already being way too dramatized and there was too much information that was getting embellished and and just like changed just for the sake of having a good show. And I do want to say too that I don't necessarily think that the partner that um, Lizette was seeing, her lover, had anything to do with it. But I do believe that she thought that it would be wise in order to get rid of her, like getting rid of her burden, her daughter, this difficulty would make it easier to move on. And there's speculation about money being an issue and them like probably trying to cash in on some life insurance policy. I don't think that that was the case. I think this was really messed up and really kind of coming from a place of mental illness and just like complete disconnect. And I think we have a hard time seeing women as murderers in that light, but I I think Lizette fits the bill. And I really feel that her energy is in alignment with this as well. And I do want to say that the dad got, excuse me, the dad 
was not granted custody of their of their living daughter, uh, little as that. He did not get custody of her. Mom did. And it's just so confusing to me because I can only imagine she was also an attorney. I don't know if she had connections that allowed for that to happen. But I feel like there were so many things that happened against Mauricio that it's almost like he didn't even really have a say in how the circus unfolded. It was more or less Lizette doing more interviews with the public and Lizette making sure that she was seen and he kind of disappeared. And if you do some reading too, you'll see that he had asked her not to attend Paulette's wake. And when she did, he did not go. So he wasn't even present at her funeral. And I feel like this was more of his saying how much he couldn't be with her because he wouldn't even defend her innocence. When he was asked about her, he actually said that he knew that he wasn't involved, but that Paulette's death was no accident, but he could only speak for himself. I mean, how telling is that? And and I get it too. Like his wife was having an affair and the whole world was finding out about it. But I really feel like he suspected her and like there wasn't much that he could do about it. I don't know. As a father, how do you not fight tooth and nail for your living daughter though if you really feel that your wife was responsible for the death of your other daughter? The whole thing just doesn't sit right. There's so much that doesn't sit right, which is why I like to go into these cases fully blind. I will say, though, that in connecting with Paulette, it's always interesting connecting with children. And in this instance, I felt like her energy was very playful. She's so cute. She had full ability to speak and to run around like a crazy child. But in the amount of time that I was connecting to her, the the very last, the, the day before I was recording this episode, I actually was cleaning up around the house. I was home by myself and I had connected to Lizette earlier in that day and the day before and a little bit the day before that. And while I'm cleaning up, I find a marble on the floor. So I pick it up and I put it on top of some napkins and pushed a bag of baby wipes in front of it so it couldn't just roll off of the counter, right? And I walked into the other room. I am not even kidding you. This marble fell off of the countertop, but it didn't, if it would have fallen off, it would have just bounced across the kitchen, which was like a straight shot. But instead it went like, it made like a hard right and bounced once on the floor next to me and then flew past me. Like it bounced right behind my foot and then flew past like toward the front of me. So for it to have only hit the floor once before it went past me, there's no way that it didn't that it just fell off the counter like sideways into the room next to me. It it had to, it is especially for as far back as it was, but that I know that was her. I know that that marble was flicked at me. It was tossed to me. It was whatever, but it was 100% her. And earlier in the day, my oldest kept saying that he saw someone in my office, which has since moved downstairs. It was upstairs behind a closed door. We're rearranging things like crazy, trying to make all of us fit in this house with three bedrooms, three children, and a home office, and it's just becoming a lot. So we moved everything downstairs. So please forgive me with any audio discrepancies while I try to navigate getting everything tuned into this space a little bit better. But anyway, he kept seeing stuff in here too, and both he and his brother had strange dreams the last couple of nights that I really feel she may have had something to do with, but that marble absolutely freaking was her. 
And I really felt like it was getting that attention. So when I first connected to her, the very first thing that I heard, all I did was connect to her name. I knew she was a little girl and I connected to her name. And the first thing I heard was my mommy did it. My mommy did it. And I said, can you show me? And I saw like a pillow, almost like a throw pillow going over her head. It like got like gold tassels and like a greenish, like velvety kind of thing. They, it, that's what I saw her being suffocated with. And I saw her being kept somewhere else. But I really think, I really think that she was suffocated in such a way that she was asleep for it. And then she just didn't wake up. I don't think there was a lot of pain or suffering or fear. I think she just thought she was having some special time with her mom. And then it ended. Um, I don't know. I think the whole case is just mind-numbingly confusing as well. But I do think that um, ultimately we know who was responsible for it. And will she ever get justice? Absolutely not because the case is closed. And when you have friends in high places, it's a lot easier to keep things under wraps and to make things disappear. So with that being said, I would love to know what you guys think and who you believe is responsible. And if you watched La, Bus La Buscada, La Buscada, please let me know what you thought in the comparison around it and everything. And thank you so much for listening to Murder and Mediumship. And I'll be back next week with another riveting case. Y'all have a great day.